Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. And at this time, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to pray, so let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we transition to the proclamation of your word as we are still worshiping you. Our prayer here at Villa's Grace is to mimic the words of Mike Schifoni this morning as he encouraged us in the mission and goal of the church, which is to share our faith with others so we can see others come to a saving faith so they can be in an eternal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. We continue our sermon series, 1 Timothy, Sound Doctrine and the Church. And one thing that we're learning in this book of 1 Timothy is a lot of qualifications as we've gone over recently with deacons and elders, but there's something else that we're going to be looking at today. And one of the things that's coming out of the text, jumping out at us is this. It's the fact that there are three forms of government, and God created all three. See, you have family governance, you have church governance, and then you have civil governance. You have a family government, government you can't say, or church government, or a civil government. And examples come from the Bible. We're not just saying that this is what it is because it's our opinion, We allow God's word to reveal this truth to us. So first and foremost, we go to God's word to realize that he is the creator of these three forms of government. In Genesis 2, verse 24, God's word says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. See, really what that verse is telling us is this. It's telling us that the father and the mother govern over the household. That was established and instituted by our Lord. Civil governance or a civil government comes from Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. God's word tells us, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. See, pre-flood, man was entirely corrupt, Pre-flood, we were on a different system. You couldn't pick up the phone and dial 911 if you were in trouble. See, the system prior to the flood was a survival of the fittest mentality. The strongest were the ones who survived. God protected His creation by creating civil governments in order to protect the weak from the strong physically. We see church governance come to us in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. God's word tells us, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The greatest leadership quality in the church, hands down, The 
quality that reigns supreme for a leader in the local church is this, and it's not what you think it is. It isn't the smartest person. It isn't the tallest person, the shortest person, the most charismatic personality, the best speaker, the best bassist, guitarist, drummer. It has nothing to do with that, keyboardist, pianist. The greatest quality, the greatest trait, the greatest skill somebody could have, the greatest quality and trait would be to have a high view of Scripture and the greatest skill in the church, and the greatest skill as it pertains to leadership would be the ability to handle God's Word appropriately. I would rather take a young man any day in church leadership who is none of those things that we just mentioned, but he can handle the Word of God. I would rather take any young lady any day who has none of those qualities that we mentioned, but could handle the Word of God. A rightful handling of the Word of God is the greatest quality that we could find in any leader in the church. I want to share this quote really quickly with you from Newt Larson. And as we think about these three forms of government created by the Lord, think about this quote. God has established only three institutions, government, marriage, and family, and the church. In post-Christian America, all three of these are being either discarded or treated with suspicion. In modern America, church has become peripheral. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The Living God's Church. The Living God's Church. And we need to listen up today, ladies and gentlemen, because if the church in America has become peripheral, we need to understand that this is the living God's church that we are members of. Today we're going to be in the text of 1 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 14, 15, and 16. We're finishing out chapter 3, and we can't forget that last week Greg walked us through the qualifications and the roles of deacons. We were encouraged by the notion that a deacon should serve exactly how Jesus served. The week prior, Pastor Steve informed us of the qualifications and roles of elders. Both offices of deacons and elders function in the local church. And I want to go back and say what I said earlier. The greatest qualification in the leadership found in deacons or elders is the ability to handle God's word appropriately. Today we're going to examine appropriate behavior of those who call upon the Lord for salvation. Brothers and sisters, that is you. That is me. This is we. That's exactly what we're doing today. We're going to examine how we should behave as members of God's household. Whether an elder or a deacon, or simply just a layperson, we must all know how one ought to behave in the household of God. That actually comes from our text this morning. And with that being said, let's go ahead and get into these three verses. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. 
He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Amen. When we look at these verses this morning, we look to this one sentence to define everything that's being said, and it is just this simple. The truth about Jesus should be lived out by the church. If you look at verse 16 this morning, that is the truth about Jesus and who He is. So the truth about Jesus should be lived out by the church. What you're looking at here is a picture of the United States Supreme Court. A lot has been going on currently with the United States Supreme Court. But what would happen... This is the physical building that we're talking about here. This is what you're looking at, the actual building of the court. What would happen if one of these pillars were removed? Maybe we remove two of the pillars. The more we alter the structure of the pillar, the least amount of weight can be held by the structure. Therefore, I would imagine it would probably start caving in on itself, wouldn't it? When you look at these pillars, they represent strength in a number of ways. We know they're holding up the roof of this structure, but also look how tall they are. They're proud with their strength and what they're able to hold up. Just like these pillars are the guardian of the structure, just like the size of these pillars proclaim the nature of this building, what we need to remember for us, is that the church is the guardian and proclaimer of truth. And we see this here in our text in verses 14 and 15. See, the pillar that holds up any household, that is husband and wife. See, the pillar that holds up God's household, that's the truth about Jesus, the truth about the fact that God is living. And that's exactly where Paul begins this morning. That is the statement that is 100% true, that God is living. Jesus is the truth that God is actually living. Church, it says that it's the church of what? The living God. See, the Ephesians at this time worship the God called of Artemis, Artemis of Ephesus, and that was the goddess of fertility. Artemis was actually both male and female. I think we could relate to that with what we see currently in our culture. But see, the problem with Artemis of Ephesus, Artemis of Ephesus wasn't a living God. And that's who these Ephesians were up against at this time. That's why Paul's writing what he's writing to Timothy. Because he's warning him to keep the eye on the prize, and the prize is the fact that our God is a living God. And we allow Scripture to tell us this. We allow Scripture to remind us of the fact that God is actually living. And we go no further than Jeremiah 10.10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth's 
quake, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. See, now, we have to understand something as we talk about household, because the American household was actually, or actually is, quite different than the household that is being referenced here in first century Christianity. Because, see, our households are different in the fact that it's typically husband, wife, and maybe children. And maybe, just maybe, you might have an elderly in-law or mom or dad move in later on in their life. Which actually reminds me of something that I heard that I was very convicted by this week. And this is a lesson for me, and it's an encouragement to some of you, because I know that some of us are actually in this phase right now, maybe unsure of what the future holds of current circumstances and things have changed where we're going to be living. But I heard somebody say this, and this is very important. We need to allow our parents to grow old in love like they allowed us to grow older in love as well. We need to show them the same patience that they showed us as they grow old. But see, that's about the extent of it for the American household, us in Western culture. It was much different, much different in first century Christianity because we saw things run a lot differently. Now, the difference would have been this. You would have had parents, you would have had children, you would have had extended family members, then you would have workers and then stewards. A lot of different individuals with a lot of diversity living in the same household. See, what's going on right here is that Paul is reminding Timothy that the local church that you've been entrusted to be in charge over should look a lot like a household. It should have a tremendous amount of diversity. And kind of like our households where the husband is the spiritual leader, the household of the church has a master and his name is Jesus. Ephesians 2.20, we look no further than to see this foundation because what does it say in verse 20? It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That means that Jesus is the master of the household of God and we need a tremendous amount of diversity because Jesus himself being the cornerstone, this is actually the pillar and buttress of the truth. We don't want to remove that pillar now, do we? Before we belonged to the household of God, though, we were strangers and aliens. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. I know we're using a lot of cross-referencing verses this morning, but trust me, there's reason for this. I'm going to read this to you again. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you yourself remember being a stranger and an alien? Do you remember when you were a stranger and an alien? Now let's take it up one more step further. Do you know any strangers and aliens currently? If you don't, you should. We should all know some strangers, and some aliens. We should all know those who are not saved, those who have not come to a saving faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Church, brothers and sisters, diversity in the church, 
That's what's being driven right here. This is the point that's being made by Paul to Timothy. Diversity in the church equals opportunity. When we have diversity amongst us, there's more opportunity for us to reach the strangers and aliens, those who are not already a part of God's household. Bring it full circle. Come back. What is the point of the local church? What did Mike remind us of this morning? It's to share our faith to see others get saved. Now, what are we to do with this opportunity? I think our answer is in the text. What does it say? Know how one ought to behave. That's what we should do with this opportunity. Cross-reference scripture again, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. I'm going to read it for you. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, really what we're being encouraged to do is this. We should be living out the basics of the gospel. That's one of the things that I just love about Paul and his work each and every time. The man that the Lord used to write about 30% of the New Testament goes back to the basics each and every time. Christ and Him crucified our sinfulness, our need to repent and find saving faith in Jesus. It's just that simple. Now, when we go back to the basics, it allows us to take advantage of this opportunity. And really, for me, that opportunity is reminiscent of a movie preview. You remember these old movie previews? They don't really throw these up anymore because we just get on YouTube nowadays and watch trailers. But I remember as a kid, you would see these all the time. You remember renting VHS tapes, right? Be kind to rewind. Did you guys all rewind? I felt guilty if I didn't rewind. Well, did I? I don't remember. But I definitely remember going back and dropping the VHSs in the slot. Now we just stream everything, right? But you remember these screens, they'd pop up. We should be living our lives out like a movie preview. Without a preview, without watching a trailer, how would we know if the movie's even worth watching to begin with? I mean, do you just go to the movies and spend all the money that you spend to watch the movie because somebody else said it was good? Or do you get online now and watch a preview? Or in the past, did you not see a preview for a movie that was going to come out at a later date and then decide to yourself, like, yeah, it is worth my time and effort to go see that movie. Brothers and sisters, the church is to be a preview of the coming kingdom. We're being asked to behave appropriately under the basics of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because of our sinfulness, because His blood and only His blood could cover the sin of the world. We're being asked to be this movie preview so we can do what? Oh, that's right. Share our faith. So we can see others come to a saving faith. Because if the preview's good or if the trailer's good, then you better believe people are going to be there to see it. 
our verbal language, our body language, our service language, how we serve others, should be a preview of Jesus and how Jesus is to come again. A preview that's for general audiences, and that's what I love the most. If you notice what you're looking at right now, it doesn't say rated PG-13. It doesn't say PG. It doesn't say R. It doesn't say not rated. It says general, which means what? Appropriate audiences means it's general in this sense, meaning it's for all ages to be admitted. It's right there. Everyone. Everyone is welcome in the household of the Lord. Just not all will accept the invitation. We are a preview. The Lord wants to use us as an invitation. That's why Paul is encouraging Timothy here at the end of chapter 3. This preview ultimately proclaims at the end of who Jesus is. Is. And we see that right here in verse 16. So who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that we're going to be a preview for? See, what does it say? It says, the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. These are gospel basics. Jesus is God. The same God who created Jesus is God who left heaven and came to earth to die for the sin of the world. Who is Jesus? The living God who became flesh. God came into this world as Jesus. He was vindicated by the Spirit, made acceptable to God in His sacrificial death. That's exactly what that means. When you see the language where it says vindicated by the Spirit, what that saying is the Holy Spirit Himself made Jesus acceptable to God because it was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. The same Holy Spirit who lives in your heart. When you know that you have saving faith in Jesus, He lives in your heart because you are a member of the household of God. What else does it say about Jesus and who he was? He was seen by angels. The angels witnessed Jesus' ministry. He was and he is being proclaimed among the nations. And that can only happen, mind you, if you're a living God to begin with. This is why we live our lives like a preview. Because we know that our God is a living God. Finally, Paul reminds us that he was taken up in glory. Jesus was raised by the Holy Spirit, as we have already said, to be seated at the right hand of the living God. And what does the Bible tell us he's doing for us right now? What is it that Jesus do, is doing for you right now? He's praying for us. He's praying for us. 
Because after all, a pillar of truth, us, the church, we, we know who Jesus is. We know that we've been called to be this preview, right? But there are those who want to muddy the waters. There are those who want to twist God's truth. They want to manipulate. It is our job to stand firm like a pillar. But we don't stand firm on our own strength. We stand firm on the truth about who Jesus is. These attacks are coming, have come, and will come. I'll give you an example. You can research. You can do a simple Google research on one of the most popular Bible translations in the last 30 years, 40 years maybe. Type in NIV, New International Version. And then type in where they've taken the masculine pronoun out. And what you start seeing is a systematic pattern a systematic pattern of the he becoming they or the he becoming that person. When you take the he out, you eventually start picking Jesus out of the Bible. Now, what did we talk about earlier? This isn't new stuff. The reason why we go through verse by verse through books of the Bible is because A, it forces us to handle God's Word appropriately. It forces us to not skip over anything that might ruffle a few feathers here or there. But also we do it because our God is a living God. And if our God was alive at creation, if our God was alive when Paul wrote this to 1 Timothy, and if our God's alive today, then everything that has happened between creation up until now is the same stuff that has been happening. Now start thinking about what Paul was talking about and the reason why he was right when he was writing because of that Artemis of Ephesus, that dead God that dead God who could morph between male and female, and then you start thinking about culture today. We are not in an environment that is safe. That's the reason why it says strangers and aliens, because that's exactly we, what we are on this earth. So as Hallie comes up, brothers and sisters, I'm okay with that. Because Jesus is the Lord Almighty. He reigns above His created order. He reigns over the three forms of government. That's why I don't get too worried about what's going on. He's the one that is in charge. He reigns above the family government. He reigns above the church government. He reigns above civil government. The power that raised Jesus is the same power that will solidify his return church this is what we preview to the world the same opportunity that was available 
in Ephesus is the same opportunity that's available to us today. Brothers and sisters, as the household of God, which is the living church of God, as it says here, this is why it's important that we preview, as it says, the mystery of godliness to the world. So with all that being said, that quote that we read at the beginning from Newt Larson, I want to read that quote one more time. God has established only three institutions, government, marriage, and family in the church. In post-Christian America, all three of these are being either discarded or treated with suspicion. In modern America, church has become peripheral. So as you watch your own government not even care about their own constitution, what do you think that means for us in the church? We have an opportunity to preview the truth of what we know about Jesus. And when we do that, we live appropriately. And when we do that, we can go back to what we said earlier, that one sentence that defined these three verses that stated this, The truth about Jesus should be lived out by the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we depart this morning, our prayer is to position ourselves to be able to share your truth with others, those who do not know you, Lord. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. Allow us to learn better how to be that pillar of truth. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.